Morning, everybody. Hello. It's good to be together this morning. I'm just going to stand here. I'm going to rise and stand up a bit. Well, we've just come um, out of a series called um, Life After the Cross. Wasn't this a great three, four weeks? I think it was five weeks. We had people just sharing their, their experiences that, uh, that some of the disciples had after Jesus died and rose again. And we had testimonies. And so it was really such a great, great sermon series that led us into where we're going to go now to Acts. But when you read, as, as, as Neil read that portion of scripture, you just want to feel sorry for the disciples. I mean, just uh, in terms of um, their experiences and how Jesus uh, communicated with them, how he appeared to them, he would be there, then he would disappear. Um, I mean, there were so many things that, uh, that one can sort of, like, uh, sort of take a moment just to reflect and say, you, you almost feel for the disciples. As they, um, as they encounter Jesus Christ. And so, um, from life after the cross, we're going into this um, the book of Acts, and I'm really looking forward to it. There's going to be a whole three, four, five months of, of reading the book of Acts. And so, please encourage you to bring your Bibles and uh, your devices and something to write on, and uh, also for you also to listen to the sermons um, again if you want to, and for those that, that aren't in the meeting. So, it's, it's, it's really good to be together. As we open up this book, and uh, uh, in our prayer time, somebody prayed that uh, that as we go through the series, it will be that, that, we'll, that they will experience discomfort, but will be comforted, nevertheless. And uh, and so I, I'm I'm not really sure what uh, what your expectation is as we go through the book of Acts, but uh, as a as a preaching team and uh, an apostle care oversight team and a leadership team. Um, we we want to we want to draw from the book of Acts, certainly for our own personal um, discipleship journey, but for us as a church, what are, what are the uh, parallels? What is the the the, the, uh, the the truths that we get out of the scriptures when we go through the portion of scripture? What is it for us as Wellspring? Because um, I, I suspect at some stage we've got to stop calling ourselves a young church or a small church, and that's the discomfort with the comfort. I'm hoping that we get to a place where we, um, also in the prayer meeting this morning, that this doesn't become a tight space. This becomes not so much a loose space, but an open space. So I'm just sharing one or two things with you in terms of some of the expectation that I have. What is your expectation? And you sitting there thinking, I have no idea. It's still too early in the morning. I'm hoping that as we get into the series and it warms up, that, that expectation builds. I mean, not to get to a, a sort of a, a dangerous sort of a, a sort of journey that we go on to to hype it up and get to a place of yes, we're going to experience the presence of God powerfully, and yes, hundreds are going to come to faith. I mean, that would be nice, but uh, but it, it is really being true to the scriptures, being true to the message that God wants to give in that particular Sunday. So if you aren't able to be um, with us on a Sunday, don't miss out. Get, get into the scripture. Oh, get, get the, the message, and um, and I hope that uh, that you can that you can track it as we go. Is that all right? Great. So we're going to start the book of Acts, and I get the privilege of of, uh, of sharing a little bit out of uh, Acts chapter one, verses one to eleven. And there's a couple of things that I'm going to bring out. There's a couple of things I want to share with you. Um, and hopefully at the end of that we can we can draw the truth for us as individuals and for us as a community. 
And so as we, uh, as we get into the, the book, there's a couple of introduction points that I'd like to make. And they're really basic introduction points just to sort of uh, focus us and position us as, as we go into this book, um, one of the books of the Bible. So we know that, um, well, we read in verse 1 that uh, um, the author says, In my former book, Theophilus, um, I wrote about the things that Jesus began to do and to teach. Uh, until the day that he was taken up to heaven. So uh, Acts 1 verse 1 to start there. And so we see the author of the book. His name is Luke. And Luke is a, uh, a converted, uh, 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 he is of Greek descent. And he comes to faith in G uh, 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 through, through Christ. And, um, and so Luke, he has uh, a background of being a doctor as well. Um, the book is written about 60 years after the death of Christ. And that's quite significant because I suspect one or two disciples have already been martyred when the book has been written. Quite interesting. Well, we know Judas, is, he committed suicide. But I think it's Peter and a couple of others where they, were, where they died earlier on in their ministry. And so um, the book is written between 60 and 80 AD. Um, as I said, Luke was a doctor. And he writes the book of Acts to a person called uh, uh, Theophilus. And, uh, and what we know of that is that Luke was his doctor. And so Theophilus was his, uh, his master. And uh, almost Theophilus could be seen as, as Luke's boss. Maybe he was the house doctor or he lived in the, you know, in, in the area. And, uh, and so Luke writes to Theophilus, the book of Acts. Um, what was quite interesting as well, and it's obvious that uh, that verse 1 that I read to you, he said, in my former book, so, so uh, Luke not only wrote the book of Acts, he also wrote the Gospel of Luke. And so we all know this, um, but there's some that, that just need to be refreshed in terms of positioning ourselves. And so um, Luke writes two volumes, um, and the first is the Gospel of Luke, and the second is the, the Acts of the Apostles, is also known. Um, and what we see in Luke 1 verse 3, uh, with this in mind, and so what Luke is saying that there are a number of other accounts of the life of Jesus, and he goes to say this, with this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I have decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. I love that that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. Perhaps for us, as we go through the series, another expectation is that there will be certainty in your heart of uh, it is Christ that has established His church, and the church is alive and well today. Because that's where we want to get to, don't we? At the end of the series, is to follow, to track the church, how it was established, how it went through all of its issues, and yet it still is the bride of Christ. But I love that, is that um, so that we may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. That's what the, that's what the Bible does, doesn't it? Gives us that certainty. Gives us that certainty. So just another point of introduction is that, so if Luke is the author of the Gospel of Luke and also Acts, it's two volumes of like a history book or the history of, of, of Christ and his church. Luke tells the story of Christ on earth, and Acts tells the story of the coming of the Holy Spirit, the fulfillment of the Great Commission, and the establishment of the church. The two volumes 
that, uh, that Luke writes. <coughs> Luke begins, uh, the gospel, when I say Luke, it's, um, uh, it's the gospel of Luke. Luke begins with the arrival of Christ and Acts ends with the departure of Christ. The story of, of Jesus begins in heaven when he left heaven to, heaven to come to earth. And then we read in Acts that, he, that, that, that it ends with him leaving the earth to return to heaven. Quite significant. Uh, we, we had our, 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 our preachers meeting last week, Thursday, and I asked the question to all our preachers. Where, where do you feel most comfortable in prepping a sermon or delivering the sermon? And we can see who the introverts and extroverts were. Um, just for the record, I am an introvert. And, uh, and uh, the interesting thing is, is that when, um, when I, I wrote that down, it was striking to me that Luke talks about the arrival of Christ, of Jesus that comes from heaven. We also see, that's what he writes in the gospel. But when he, when, when we read the, when he, when he writes in, in, in the, um, the book of Acts, it's, it's Jesus' departure back to heaven. Jesus' departure back to heaven. Uh, the story starts with Jesus coming to earth and ends with the ascension. There is the incarnation and the exaltation. There is the expectation and the consummation. Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. The Son of God, the Son of God, being born of a virgin in Luke, uh, in Acts, uh, born uh, from the dead, and ascends to heaven. In Luke, we read about hope unrealized, and in Acts, we we read about hope fully realized. In Luke, we read about the promise, and in Acts, we read about the fulfillment of the promise. And so we have these two books. And it would be quite interesting, perhaps throughout these next couple of months, is to probably piggyback on the book of Acts by reading the Gospel of Luke. Um, and uh, it's so important that if you're going to watch a movie and a sequel comes out, my son will always say, don't forget to watch that movie. And if you don't, and I'm sitting in the cinema with him, he's talking in my ear, oh, that, it's because of that that he does that, it's because of that that he does that. And so my encouragement to you is that in your leisure time, read the Gospel of Luke. Um, because it's the, the first part and uh, the Gospel of Acts, I mean, and uh, the, the, the book of Acts is the, the sequel to it. And in these two accounts, Luke in the Gospels and Acts of the Apostles, um, it's interesting that Luke in the Gospels ends with the ascension. And it's interesting that in Acts, he starts with the ascension of Jesus. So that's a clue. I want to get there this morning to talk about the ascension, that Jesus departs. The gospel ends, and uh, in, the gospel, uh, in the book of Acts it starts. There's this overlapping, there's this inter interlocking history, the culmination that brings an ending and the inauguration that brings the beginning um, of uh, Jesus to his church. And so as we, as we will get to the ascension, here's the deal. Is I think it was the 26th of May. It was ascension day. Remember, we, like, there would be a public holiday. We'd have ascension day services. But I think that's off the radar. And when we're preparing the sermon series, it was Brandon that actually highlighted the fact that that was ascension. Or this, that this day was ascension. And it would be great to, to start the series just on the back end of, of, of ascension. We know that as that ascension is when Jesus went up into heaven. It was 40 days after his resurrection. 
40 days after his resurrection. And so what I want to do is I want to, I want to talk about the ascension and I want to bring just two points to you as we look at this portion of scripture um, and get into this, this, um, this first sermon on, um, on, on the Acts of the Apostles. Are you all with me? Yes. Here we go. Yes. The first thing that I want to mention from this portion of scripture is that um, uh, the ascension uh, was significant because it marked the finished work of Jesus, uh, Jesus' work on salvation. So the ascension of Jesus ascending into heaven uh, was uh, significant and it, it tells us about the finished work of Jesus. We read in John 4 verse 34, My food is to do the will of him who sent me, to finish his work. Those are the words of Jesus. Uh, speaking about the Father. And we know, and I think I've preached about this on Easter, what was the work of Jesus? What was the work that he came to do? And uh, we went through a couple of things, but we know this. We know the work of Jesus was the work of redemption. Substitutionally atonement. Um, substitutionary atonement. Uh, what that means is that Jesus died for us. He satisfied God's judgment on the world. He satisfied all that God needed for people to be in relationship with him. Not only that, Jesus came to defeat Satan, his kingdom, and to break the, the bonds of sin. That was the work of Jesus Christ. And uh, in John 19, verse 30, we read these words where Jesus is on the cross and he says, It is finished. That work of salvation is finished. That complete work of salvation is finished. And it's on the cross that Jesus died, and we see that he, he rises again. And on the, on the and forty days of speaking about things of the kingdom to his disciples, life after the cross, we see that there was a, a sense of confidence that has been built in the disciples. I mean, we went through that, and uh, as I said, we feel sorry for the disciples, but uh, but we see how Jesus comes alongside them, and uh, I, I I really been pondering on Justine's sermon that. Could the, great, could the Great Commission be such a deep point of therapy that God would have with His people? I mean, you could go through the Great Commission and receive therapy for your own life before you even be commissioned to take that to somebody else. Wow. Well, that's true, isn't it? I mean, to share the Gospel, you've got to start with yourself. You've got to start with yourself. And so we see that, uh, that uh, Jesus ascending into heaven was significant because it marked his finished work of salvation. And we read in verse 11, and the same way Jesus, who was taken from you to heaven, will come back, sorry, and will come back the same way that you've seen him go up into heaven. We see in John 14 verse 1, do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God and believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would not have told you. And I'm going there to prepare a place for you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And so when we see the, 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 the finished work of, of, of Jesus, this work of salvation, what's encouraging for us is that it's a finished work of salvation. And then he goes up into heaven. And as he goes up into heaven, we know that he will come back again. He will come back again. And that's an encouragement for us. Well, I'm not sure. 
I dread the day he comes back. If I'm honest. I don't know about how would I approach him? What would I do for that? Have, have I lived the life that I've needed to? Have I shared his love with others that 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 need it? I'm not I'm not sure. But Jesus will come again. And as he comes again, he will ultimately finish the work that he began. But this work of salvation is finished, and, and going up into heaven, ascending into heaven, brings sort of a full stop to that salvation work of Jesus Christ. Um, the fact that he's going to come back again, uh, it, it, it sort of at the back of my mind reminds me that as he comes back again um, to finish the work, there, so there is still work to be done. So Jesus ascending into heaven doesn't mean that his, his job is done. He takes up a new portfolio. He does, he does extra work. He does something else other than just say, oh, my job's done. You know, I'm out of here. I've, done, I've brought salvation to people. I've glorified God. And uh, I'm just going to go enjoy myself up in heaven because you guys down on earth are crazy. There is a mess down here. And no matter what I've done, it's still messy. He doesn't do that. And we'll get on to that in a, in a little bit um, later on. So the first thing about the ascension of Jesus Christ, it's significant because it highlights the finished work of salvation. It's the finished work of salvation. The second point from the scripture in terms of the ascension of Jesus Christ, uh, it is crucial for us to focus on the ascension because it speaks about the Holy Spirit being released. I love this now. I actually wanted to end with this point. But I feel like God wants me to end with a different point. The ascension of Jesus Christ is crucial because it's there the Holy Spirit is released. In verse 4 of that scripture, on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Now, there again, I mean, guys, can you, can you imagine? He's sitting with the disciples and they're saying, is this Jesus? Isn't he? I'm sure it's Jesus. Didn't he die? He rose again. Now he's with us. I'm, like, I'm not sure where in the story that, uh, that he's sitting eating with them. Maybe it's the Sea of Galilee when, uh, when Peter's just run towards him and, and Peter's like being restored. Remember Shane preached that great uh, message on, on do you love me, Peter? So, uh, I mean, picture it. Try and get that, that picture in your mind. In verse 4, on one occasion, while, they were eating, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. John's baptism is a baptism of repentance. Jesus' baptism, although he never baptized, was the baptism of the Holy Spirit. John's baptism is one of repentance, and Jesus' baptism of the Holy Spirit is one of infilling. Um, and so that's the encounter, the encounter Jesus is sitting with and having a meal and he says, hey, um, listen, you must go and make disciples. Uh, just, just hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Before you go, before you go, um, uh, you need to wait for the, the gift my father promised. These guys are like, what's going on here? Must we go, mustn't we go? Who's the Holy Spirit? And, and, and we know within, within the time of, of the Old Testament, certainly into the New Testament, that the Holy Spirit was given, on a was given to a particular person for a task for a particular time. And once that task was done, that the Holy Spirit's power or anointing or infilling was removed. And so for us looking back, 
past Pentecost. I mean, it's obvious, isn't it, that, uh, that the Holy Spirit is poured out on all people. But at this point in time, the Holy Spirit wasn't poured out on all people. Martin Pitt also preached that when Jesus was with them, with God and Thomas, that he, he blew on them or he touched them or uh, in his presence, they experienced the Holy Spirit and they were filled with the Spirit. Verse 8 of that uh, scripture. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. So Jesus is saying, I've given you the Great Commission, but while we're having this meal over here, don't leave Jerusalem until you receive the gift my Father has promised, the gift of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. I think it's in, in Joel 2, verse 28. There's that prophecy, and I don't want to get ahead. There's that prophecy that says, uh, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. You remember that prophecy? Uh, I'll, I'll pour out my spirit on all people. And we get, we get that a little bit further in uh, what happens at Pentecost. This is just the start of sort of the talk of the Holy Spirit. Um, and so now the spirit is given on all people for all times, for all tasks. That's what Jesus was saying. He was saying, you know, before you leave Jerusalem, and I suspect people, uh, the, the, the disciples and people that came to Christ that, that extended the, 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 the kingdom of God through the church, uh, they would never have done what they did when we read the book of Acts if they were not called the Holy Spirit. That you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes to you. So what is the evidence of the Holy Spirit? Power. Well, there's a number of other things that, 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 that gives evidence to, to the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Um, do we want to know a victory over sin? It's the law of the Spirit that has set us free from the law of sin and death. So victory over sin, that's, that's sort of evidence of the power of the Holy Spirit. What about um, difficulty in understanding Scripture? And the Holy Spirit uh, will teach you all things. That should definitely be another evidence of the Holy Spirit, the infilling of the Holy Spirit. What about the problem with um, witnessing effectively? But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will be my witnesses. Uh, what's another evidence of the Holy Spirit? And how to pray. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. Uh, the Spirit himself intercedes with us. The Holy Spirit intercedes with us. The Holy Spirit intercedes through us. Really? That's evidence of the power of the Holy Spirit. What else? What would be other evidences of the Holy Spirit? I know well, and I look at Peter when I'm going to say this, because he always reminds me when I mention it, is that evidence of the Holy Spirit in your life is that you're able to call the creator of the universe, other Father. No way. No way. That certainly is evidence of the power of the Holy Spirit. So let's not get caught up, you know, in terms of saying, yeah, I really don't want the Holy Spirit because if I get the power of the Holy Spirit, the evidence is disciples or converts or you know, more people in church. Surely. But we can't be one-dimensional in understanding the power of the Holy Spirit. There again, going back to the series that we've just done, it just opened up my eyes to seeing things a little bit differently. Where Jesus says, 
you'll receive power when the Spirit comes on you. And this might, as I said, be when Jesus just restored Peter. Think about it. Jesus saying to Peter, do you love me? And he gets restored. And you can imagine Peter sitting there and Jesus saying, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father has promised the Holy Spirit. Then you will receive power. Oh, Peter might be saying, oh, power to love Jesus more. Power to be confident in the things that I've been taught that I won't deny ever again. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. Because Peter probably never denied Jesus after that point. Probably because of his reinstatement, but because of the power that he received from the Holy Spirit as he goes to preach further on in the book of Acts that we'll get to. Oh, but I think the problem for us is we see the power of the Holy Spirit related to this of being witnesses for Jesus. Something that you articulate, something that you witness to. It's maybe the power of the Holy Spirit in your life is to live a life that glorifies God. Maybe it's the, it's the power of the Holy Spirit in you to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Because that, that, that's a crazy concept. Outside of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Outside of being uh, receiving the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that intercedes for us. The Holy Spirit draws us to church this morning. When you snug in bed. Ah, oh, come on, man. I can watch it online, eh? Spotify. Do you know what the Holy Spirit does? He intercedes through you to the Father. As the, now listen to this. As the Holy Spirit intercedes to the, through you to the Father, the, the Father, the Father, Son, uh, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit wanting, uh, wanting us to experience that perfect fellowship. Come on. Come to church. Come on. Come to church. It's the Holy Spirit. It's the, the evidence of the Holy Spirit. In our lives, power. The, the fact that we hear today is evidence of the Holy Spirit. But we, I think the, the power of the Holy Spirit has been watered down. The evidence of the power of the Holy Spirit is it the Holy Spirit? Is it me? Or am I just a committed guy? Or, you know, am I fanatical about Oh man, it's like. You can't come up with this stuff. And I'm hoping that we, we see that. And like the, for us as Christ followers, because I suspect everybody in this room is a Christ follower. And I'm wanting us to experience the evidence of the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Why can we do that? Because Jesus ascended into him. And so the disciples, they were scattered, disillusioned, and fearful, and they became, they became fearless, and they risked everything. They faced imprisonment, beating, rejection, and martyrdom. Because they were full of the Holy Spirit. And the evidence of that filling was power. Oh, there's another point of evidence. That when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit is the... Come on, somebody's got to get it. What's the Holy Spirit when you come to faith in Christ? It's a... Seal. Seal. The Holy Spirit is the seal. So when you experience the moving of the Holy Spirit in you, when you experience, oh, I understand the scripture, when you say, like, uh, um, the, the Holy Spirit has helped me with the sin in my life, or, or, or the Holy Spirit has helped me to share my faith with somebody, and you come away there exhilarating, that's the seal that you are a Christ follower. 
What we do on Alpha is we do the Holy Spirit weekend and somebody comes up and we offer the Holy Spirit to people as a gift. And somebody would say, yes, I'd like the Holy Spirit. And we chatted about this. And so uh, I'd like the Holy Spirit. The question we need to ask is, are you a Christ follower? Have you accepted him in your life? Because you can't receive, Christ, you can't receive the Holy Spirit if you don't have Christ. Yes. And so it's when you receive Christ, you get the seal. Made in China. Made in China. <laughs> you want to see my seal? made in heaven. Man, that's a great evidence of the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm, I'm sure they know that. So when we look at, when we look at the, the, the book of Acts and we see that, that Luke has been very intentional about starting this book. He must be very intentional. And the overlap in the starting of this is the ascension of Jesus Christ. Because it's the ascension of Jesus Christ that tells us that Jesus has finished the work of salvation. But he continues to work. He continues to work. The ascension reveals, uh, it's, I'm sorry, the, the, the ascension is crucial because it shows us that it's at this point that the Holy Spirit is released on all people. And the final thing that I want to share with you this morning as we, we set up for the series of looking at the, the ascension, I mean, looking, looking at the book of Acts, uh, the ascension reveals the Lordship of Jesus. I'm so convicted about this. And uh, I'm hoping that it would be something for us as a thread throughout this whole book. The ascension of Jesus Christ reveals the Lordship of Jesus Christ. That's why this morning, um, I remember in Rome preached, and there was testimonies and, and everything, uh, how the Holy Spirit aligns a, a service. I didn't speak to Tim about the, the word, the songs that we sang. It was a declaration, wasn't it? You are Lord. You are Lord. The ascension reveals the Lordship of Jesus, and, and so I'm going to um, almost believe that the intentionality of Luke in, in starting with the overlap of the Gospel of Luke and Acts with the ascension of Jesus Christ, it's pointing to His Lordship. You know, when I, when I was a young Christ follower, I desired the Holy Spirit, I desired the presence of the Spirit, I desired the, the ability to perform miracles, I desired tongues, I desired, I desired everything of the Holy Spirit. And I remember one person saying to me, you know, don't look to the gifts, but look to the gift, or look to the giver of the gifts. Mm-hmm. And so when we look at the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in Acts, we've got to be mindful of the Lordship of Jesus. The Holy, Spirit, the Holy Spirit is able to perform miracles. The Holy Spirit is able to uh, uh, work powerfully, but He does it through you. The Spirit doesn't hover. I mean, He does hover. But in terms of Him moving, in terms of Him engaging with people, it goes through, He goes through us. He intercedes through us. As He intercedes to the Father through us, He intercedes to people through us. I would believe. The ascension reveals the Lordship of Jesus. And I'm hoping that throughout the series that we look at this exciting journey of the development and the establishment of the church and the work of the Holy Spirit and, and miracles and people getting saved up to 3,000 on a, on, a, on a service. I mean, that's radical stuff. But the foundation for me is that it all it is because of Jesus is Lord. The Lordship of Jesus. I'm... I'm, I'm I'm being naughty now. I'm going into Acts chapter 2. But I'll come out of there quickly. Acts chapter 2 verse 32. 
This is Peter in his first sermon when people get saved. Um, God has raised this Jesus to life. And we're all witnesses of it. Wow. Exalted him to the right hand of God. He has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit. He has received the promised Holy Spirit. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. And that's why he finished the work of salvation, but his job never ends. His work never ends. He's seated at the right hand of the Father and he's interceding for you and I. He intercedes for you and I at the right hand of the Father. Lord, sorry, I saw Colette. Lord, there's Colette. There's Tim. There's Peter. There's Kirsten. Interceding for us. It blows my mind. As the Holy Spirit intercedes for us to come to church, come to church, Jesus is saying, Father, Father, there he is. There she is. I mean, it's a silly example, but there's some hectic stuff that we all go through in life. I can't imagine it without the infilling of the Spirit. I can't imagine it without the Son seated at the right hand of the Father interceding for you and I. And I'll get it long still. <laughs> but there's grace. There's grace. Acts chapter. Oh, I'm going further down. Sorry, lost one. Acts 7, verse 56. The stoning of Stephen. Look, I see the heavens open and Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. I mean, this guy's going to die for his faith, man. He needs some intercession. But Jesus doesn't just sit, he stands. This is what Stephen sees. He sees, he sees this vision of Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. Come on, Stephen. We, we've got you. Father, through your spirit, <coughs> give him your peace. Give him your boldness. Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. I suspect sometimes that Jesus has stood for you. Okay? Can you recall that time where he stood for you interceding to the Father, calling on the Holy Spirit? The ascension highlights the point that Jesus was exalted to the right hand of the Father. It's so important for us to understand that. But what was the result? That Jesus received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit. It was Jesus that needed to be that needed to be exalted. It was Jesus that needed to be seated at the right hand of the Father for the Holy Spirit to be poured out. Now some people would say, yeah, but that's just the way it needs to happen. But I want to look a little bit deeper into that. It's the fact that Jesus was exalted. It was the fact that Jesus went from, from heaven to earth back to heaven to be exalted, to be seated at the right hand of the Father. It was in his exaltation that the Spirit was released. Now we can debate that. I'm sure that, that could be a great theological discussion. But I want to believe that it's because of his exaltation the Spirit is released. So here's the thing. When you exalt Christ, the Spirit is released. Come on. When you exalt Christ in your life, the Spirit is released. <clears throat> and what followed after the, the, the Jesus received the Holy Spirit? What followed? The miracle of Pentecost. And we're going to get to that. Where the Spirit is released on all people. Because Jesus is exalted, 
we get to experience the Holy Spirit. Watchman Nee says this, Because the Lord Jesus died on the cross, I have received forgiveness of life. Because the Lord rose from the dead, I have received new life. Because the Lord has exalted the right hand of God, I have received the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It's so important for us to understand. When we acknowledge the exalted Christ, the Spirit of God is poured out. I mean, you can come challenge me. I'm, I'm sure the Spirit can be poured out even when you don't exalt it. And I'm talking about you personally. Embracing Christ as Lord and Savior, the Spirit is released. What that looks like, I'm not sure. There's a difference from person to person. It's when we come to understand the effective rule of God in our lives. The Spirit of God is evident through the seal that we are children of God. The ascension is a high event in the life of a Christ follower, and Luke wants to communicate this to us. It is equal to his birth, his death, and resurrection. That just because we don't have a public holiday of ascension, that, that it is important for us as Christ followers. And so as we go into this, this series of this, this unbelievable book called the Book of, uh, the, 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 sorry, the, the book of Acts, um, that we, we grounded with this, with this reality, with this foundation, that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. And as we come to, just as we close now, I want to just, how does this relate to us as a church? Because I've been talking a lot about us as Christ followers. How does it relate to us as a church? Well, in looking at where we're going as a, as a church, uh, Wellspring Community Church, looking at our structures and looking at our philosophy of ministry and our theology and all of that, um, I came across this, this value that, 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 that is important. And I think it speaks into the ascension of Jesus Christ. What speaks into the lordship of Jesus over our lives. Uh, I'm calling for us at Wellspring to, to, to have um, this value for us as a, a church. I'm, I'm just, it's not saying stones and the executive, sorry, and leadership, it's not about that. I'm just, I'm just sharing some ideas with you. That when we, when we move away from ourselves to look at ourselves as a church going into the series on how the church is established and built and, 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 uh, and, and is effective for Jesus Christ. Is this value of the headship of Jesus Christ and the administration of the Holy Spirit in the church? The headship of Jesus Christ and the administration of the Holy Spirit. I love that. It speaks in, in when it comes to sort of the, the, the headship of Jesus in the local church. Just as much as Jesus loved the church and gave himself up for the church, it is Jesus who builds the church. And so no matter what our leadership structures are, no matter what our oversight structures are, it's for Jesus to have full reign over this church. That Jesus is the head of this church. And so as we look at leadership structures, sometimes what happens is that, that those structures get in the way of actually Jesus leading his church. And so the agendas that are set and, uh, and the course that is, that is uh, put forward to the people of the, the, the local church has never been uh, uh, communicated with, never been prayed over, never been sought after by God and Jesus. 
that Jesus needs to be the head of the church. And as I look at Wellspring and the M5 and going to Common Ground, like just like how we were how we were planted and, and how God has held us in his hand in all of this stuff. And so if we acknowledge Jesus as Lord over this church, I'm sure he's going to reveal to us his plans for this church. The headship of Jesus. That we need to be, we need to, we need to know what Jesus wants for this church. And when we when we understand that and we engage with him over it, there is this opportunity for us to, to allow him to have his way with us. And so it's this, this idea of the headship of Jesus Christ. So just as much as Jesus is Lord over my life, we want to ask Jesus to be Lord over this church. That's dangerous. Because it's not our agenda. It's not the things we want. It's not the comfort. It's like, Jesus, as head of this church, what do you want? And I'm hoping over this next couple of months that that's going to come true for us. And we're going to articulate and crystallize what it is for us. But for Jesus to say, for us to say, Jesus, be Lord over this church. It's not about the pastor, the executive, or the leadership team. It's about you leading us. That is the headship of, of Jesus over this church. It's the administration of the Holy Spirit. So we say everybody gets to play. There's more behind that than like, I don't want to do all the work, so let's get everybody working. No, that's not the point. The point of everyone gets to play is, is, is speaking to this idea of the administration of the Holy Spirit within the local church. The Spirit's freedom to con, uh, the Spirit's freedom and control through responsible, uh, spiritful servant leadership. That the church be free from human control and allowing Jesus to do what he wants to do with us as a community. This idea of the administration of the Holy Spirit is that everyone gets to play because we are empowered by the Holy Spirit. He gives gifts to those that he desires to give gifts to. And so as we come to the beginning of the series of, uh, of Acts, let in our hearts declare Jesus is Lord. Let us as Wellspring Community Church say Jesus is Lord. If that's the foundation, we will experience the outpouring and evidence of the power of the Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we want to come before you in the name of Jesus by the power of your Holy Spirit. We want to thank you for this opportunity to come together uh, and to worship, to come together and open up the Word for you to speak to us. So there be clarity in our, in our hearts and our lives of the things that we've been As preparing this message, I really... Uh, I really got a, a conviction in my heart that many of us, and I'm talking about myself as well, we have no problems with Jesus being my Savior. But we struggle with Jesus, my Lord. Jesus, my Savior, saved me. I needed saving. Jesus, my Lord, I'm not sure about that. See, uh, Declaring Jesus as Lord um, 
So coming to a place of building your life, a place of surrendering your life. Maybe there's some comforts or there's some uh, not areas of disobedience, but liberty. You can have this part of my life, but not this. You can have this, but not that. Because you are my Savior, and I am going to heaven. But the desire for us to say, you are my Savior and you are my Lord. So Jesus, you rose from the dead. We, we, we speak that, but we don't believe in our hearts that you are Lord. I just want to create an opportunity for you to allow God to minister to you in that area. What does it mean to call Jesus Lord? What does it mean to call Jesus your Lord? And so perhaps this morning there is a, a realignment that needs to take place. Maybe there's a surrendering that needs to take place. Not your life if you're a Christ follower, but aspects of your life that he is not Lord. Just feel that the Holy Spirit wants to minister to some people in that area this morning. Feel the Holy Spirit wants to minister to some people this morning where we've not grieved and quenched the Holy Spirit, we've just ignored it. And there's no evidence in your life of the Holy Spirit. Not that you're aware of, but there's, there's, so, there's so many. Maybe you can just start off with saying, Lord, I, I know that the Holy Spirit, uh, you are a seal in my life because I am a Christ follower. I've committed my life to Jesus. Oh, but I'm just praying over the series that, that as we declare Jesus as Lord, we're going to experience the power of the Holy Spirit like never before. Wow. Radical sense of being surrendered to the Holy Spirit. Never had that opportunity to say, Holy Spirit, have your way in my life. I believe in you, Jesus. And I do declare Jesus as Lord. But this morning I want the Holy Spirit to flow. And maybe this is the first step. But hopefully by October, you're going to be filled with the Spirit. And that's for our church. Jesus is the head of this church. And the Holy Spirit has freedom. Thank you.